Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 40, 24 to 40, no, 24 to 26. You were like, woo, good thing we don't stand for the, if you can stand, but you don't have to. But, and when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And this afternoon, I just want to speak on this topic. The blood isn't broken. The blood isn't broken. God, thank you so much for everything you've done leading up to this moment. I believe so much in worship and you inhabit the praise of your people, but I believe it's not only for you. I believe when we offer worship, it opens our hearts and our minds to what it is you want to do through your word. So I pray help all of us, Lord, that our minds and our hearts would be open to receive whatever it is you want to say. Don't let any, any part of us be closed off to your word, God. And Lord, I know that your word's anointed. Let it accomplish what you desire today. In Jesus' name, amen. This opening passage is the Apostle Paul's description of the Last Supper. And today, we will be taking communion together as we wrap up this service. And originally, this practice was an entire meal. It was not just a piece of unleavened bread or an unleavened cracker with a, a shot of grape juice. Scripture, scripture does not make it clear when to have communion. It does not make it clear how often to have communion. The Bible just tells us, as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. And it also says, don't do it unworthily. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to not do it? What does unworthily mean? This church at Corinth that Paul was writing to here, they're infamous. They had a lot of issues, and I won't go through all of them, but just a few. They had issues. They, there were issues of sexual misconduct. There were claims of spiritual superiority. They were going to court and suing one another. There were divisions over church leaders, serious misunderstandings of marriage and singleness, eating food offered to idols, misunderstanding of proper dress, not having an appreciation for certain spiritual gifts, and on and on we go. Another list, uh, another thing on that list that they, that they took out of context or had problems with was the misuse of communion. And so it's been customary for Christians to eat together since the days of the early church. And the church said, amen. amen. I like to eat together. At Corinth, Christians held events called, kind of weird, but called the love feast and in which the church gathered to eat a meal together, and then they would participate in the Lord's Supper afterward. But many Corinthians, or Christians at the Corinthian church, did not take the Lord's Supper correctly. When it was time for communion, dysfunction ensued. Some got drunk from wine. Some did not receive the elements. Others ate before others arrived. And so it was so bad that Paul says their corporate worship gatherings were for the worse and not the better. And it was so bad that Paul said, this isn't even the Lord's Supper that you're taking. 
And so this is the context, the background information that dictates Paul's sobering context, the sobering comments about communion and the words that he speaks. And so understanding the particular circumstances at Corinth helps God's people to understand why Paul would command his readers to not take communion in an unworthy manner and why the people of God should examine themselves before taking communion. After our opening passage, Paul immediately goes from what we just read about Hebraic, and when you do this office, you do it, you t- do it in remembrance of me. And the next thing he says in, is in verse 27, 11, 27, he says, so every, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. I think if it's your first time here, if you've never stepped foot in a church, you can read that verse and go, yeah, I'm not, I don't want that. I don't think anybody, no matter what your church background is, you can look at that and go, yeah, so that's not anything I want to be a part of. I don't want to sin against the Lord, against the body and blood of, of Calvary. I don't want to take it unworthily. And that is why he says you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. How about once again? You know what? Hmm. I don't fully understand everything that's going on, but I don't want a part of that. And he says, that is why many of you are weak and sick and many have died. That's pretty harsh. Paul's writing to a church, not unbelievers, he's writing to a church in Corinth, the city, and he says, hey, let me, let me break something down to you. You're taking this unworthily. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And you know what? That's part of the reason that you're dealing with sickness and death in your church. Wow. So, sounds serious. And so this passage has scared some people from taking communion altogether. So there's been some that read that and they say, yeah, so I'm just going to sit this one out. Because I don't even want to take a chance on any of that stuff. But I don't think that that was God's or Paul's intention. But what does it mean to examine yourself before taking communion? Well, before we talk about what it means, let's talk about what it does not mean. And just so you know, if you're here, if you haven't figured it out, we are taking communion today. Look at that. It'd be weird to just talk all day about communion and then just be like, oh, have a good day. We take communion, we aim to take it about once a quarter here. Because for us, we don't ever want communion just to be a shot of grape. You're yeah, throwing that throwing like a, eating a Cheeto and we just don't think about it. And so we do it so often, but we also don't want to never do it and cease to remember what he did for us on Calvary. And so what it doesn't mean, number one, it does not mean you have to be perfect to take communion. Matter of fact, you make me feel uncomfortable if you're perfect. So all perfect people, you can go ahead and be dismissed right now. And notice I'm still staying in the pulpit. If it only took perfect Christians to take communion, nobody would ever take communion. The warning is not for perfection, but to avoid the mistakes that some of the Corinthians were making. Number two, it does not mean that you have to examine yourself toward the point of unhealthy introspection. 
Again, I always like to ask, who are the, who are the, who are the overly analytical people that tend to think too much about things? And anybody ever has accused you of either packing too long or just make a decision? Has anyone ever said that to you? Raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand up. Raise, don't, don't keep it down here. Raise it up real high. I want to see who my real family members are. All right. Good, good, good. For some of you, the moment that you think about taking communion... You might go, oh, man, Monday, I skipped my quiet time. Tuesday, I didn't mean to. I was trying to get on the on-ramp, but I I went 12 miles and over the speed limit. (laughs) Wednesday, I said something I shouldn't have said to my spouse. And Thursday, I think I was a little mean to my coworker. I probably should skip communion. And on and on you go, agonizing, excessive introspection. I don't think that that was what Paul meant when he said, examine yourself. When Paul says, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he's speaking of the issues going on at Corinth, eating alone, getting drunk on the wine, but more context is needed. See, at Corinth, the successful Christians were also looking down at the, at, the, at the other Christians, you see, the, and the less successful Christians, this, this wrong spirit followed them at the Lord's table. I know you can't imagine any American church doing this where somebody might think of themselves as higher than someone else, but it happens even in American churches today. And it's a wrong spirit to partake of the Lord's Supper while looking down on those whom Christ also died for. It's wrong. Now, certainly, if someone's weak in their faith, those who are strong in your faith should come alongside of them, not to remind them that you're stronger, but to aid and assist them in helping them in their journey and path toward toward Christ, a deeper relationship with God. And so our question, though, still remains when Paul says, examine yourself before taking communion, what does he mean? Well, first, examining yourself means only taking communion if you're a Christian. Now, Christian, in this most simple fact, it just means Christ, a belief in Christ, a Christ-like. And so let me explain, not because this is our church regulation. Let's look at Scripture. That's where I like to stay, their safety in Scripture. 2 Corinthians, his second letter to that church, 13.5, he says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. He did not tell you to examine and see if my faith is genuine. He did not tell me to examine if your faith is genuine, that you have to examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. And he says, test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. There it is again. He walks among us. If not, you have failed the genuine test of faith. So the context of this verse is to determine whether or not some of the Corinthians are saved, okay? In light of the dysfunction at Corinth, it's reasonable to assume that some who took the elements were just joining for the food and the party, and they weren't Christians at all. We can imply then that the exhortation to examine yourself is a call to examine whether to see if you are true in the faith. Communion is for Christians only. What do I mean by that? That if you are here and you say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. 
and you do not believe that God robed himself in flesh, that he died on a cross for you, then there's no need to proceed with a religious practice that remembers something that you don't believe. But when I say open communion here, even if you say it's my first day, I'm not really a member, I'm not ready to make a commitment here, it's not a church-based, attendance-based, membership-based thing. This is an open communion. It's open to everybody, but I think the first prerequisite is, do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, that he took on flesh, that he paid the price we were supposed to pay? If you believe that, then come on, join communion with us because we're remembering what he did. Second, examining yourself means making sure you know how communion points to Jesus and taking the elements in a proper way. You don't have to know all the theological debates associated with the Lord's Supper, but you do need to know why the communion took place and why it points to Jesus. The bread represents Christ's broken body on the cross, and the juice or the wine represents the blood that was shed for God's people. We take communion to remember Jesus' death, but also because it means that God has ordained us to strengthen and to, 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 to walk in faith, that we don't have to be stuck by what we did or got stuck in, that because of the blood, I can go forward, not because I deserve something, but because of that grace, that blood covering, I can go, God, as I take this today, I remember you paid my price. And third, examining yourself means considering your heart before God and those in your church. To this point, everyone's like, yep, check, cool, sounds good. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, amen, that's good stuff. You should believe that. Yep, he's, he took on flesh, died on the cross. Oh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful that he forgave my sin. I'm, oh, this is wonderful, but now we hit a little closer to home. Can everyone say Amen. Don't let that be your last amen of the message now. If you are living in secret, ongoing, unrepentant sin, you should not take communion. Now, does that mean like, well, what if I mess up? No, no. Unrepentant, I'm living here, I'm doing this, I'm intentionally, I know what God's word says, but I ain't, I'm not doing that. It's a disregard for the blood of Calvary. If you have hate in your heart toward the person behind you or in front of you, you probably shouldn't take communion. I'll say, it's only January 15th and God's got great things planned for Refuge Church. But do you know in 15 days, I've already probably talked through and dealt with about eight different situations in the church. For those quick math, that's about every other day. The enemy is already attacking the unity of this church. And all I can call you to do is be spiritually aware. 
Bible tells us, contend for the faith. The Bible does not say contend for your own position. One comes more naturally to us. Sometimes we war against demonic spirits. That's biblical. Sometimes it's just a human spirit. And you know what I really hate? Sometimes it's my own. If we have Pentecostals, apostolics, oh yes, there's a demonic force. We got to pray against it. Everybody's like, yes, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. There's a human spirit and instantly we start getting names and faces in our head. Yes, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Sometimes it's you. It, what? No. I come against those evil demonic spirits. I come against those evil spirits in the church. But it can't be me. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a human spirit. And guess what that means? You're not divine. That human spirit sometimes errs and sometimes has some issues and sometimes needs a good fast and a good time of prayer. You see, blood is powerful, both in the human realm and in the spiritual realm. I could pass this microphone to some of you people that are way brighter, way more intelligent in these areas than I am. We have, I think we break the per capita in the City of Liberty for the number of nurses who are in this room right now. <laughs> so I don't dare even try to enter into this discourse because I'm going to say something that's so wrong. But I know this in my, I'll, I'll say it in my level, blood's powerful. Blood speaks things. Forensics looks, they find blood, blood speaks a message to people who know how to read it. But that's not just the physical realm, that's the spiritual realm. And the blood of Calvary gives us the same DNA. Look around right now. Are there people that look a little bit different than you? A little bit. Got a different facial structure. Your nose is probably not as big as mine. Somebody told me men's ears never stop growing. That was disappointing to me. I'm like, great. Good thing my wife said, better or worse, richer or poor. She didn't say handsome or ugly, though, so I'm kind of concerned about that. I guess that's better or worse. But there's people that look different than you. And they have different DNA because each person, we have this beautiful, beautiful code of DNA that speaks about who we are, our identity. But when Jesus Christ shed that blood on Calvary, spiritually, 
We can be different. How many of I mean, you think about, we're, oh, anybody a twin? You and your twin are probably very different. Where's Zach and Dylan? Where's that? All right. I was, I was waiting for an amen from them. I don't but yet, but yet, when the blood of Calvary and we take on that blood in the waters of baptism, we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We might be different, but blood-wise, we have the same DNA spiritually because it's the blood of Calvary. And in spite of our differences, the blood has to unite us. It has to unite us. We have to contend for the faith and not contend for our position. The blood is the most important thing. And so we have to examine ourselves because what did it say? It did not say, all right, everyone third person in, begin to examine the person in the seventh row. Man, we would do a great, some of you are like, can I write it right now? All the scripture says is examine yourself. It's the beauty of Calvary, the blood, the way Christ does things. I've sat in services, even prophetic services. To me, if a prophet stands up and calls out the sin of someone publicly without any chance of, of reconciliation, I don't believe it's of God. Because I don't see that. And you might say, I disagree with that. That's fine. You're welcome to your opinion. But I think that where God, he always offers hope for reconciliation, restoration. And, and, and so I, even if I know some of the things you might be dealing with, I will never stand in this pulpit and publicly call out something that you've told me in private. Because I don't believe that, that that's the way that Jesus Christ would do it. And so he does not say examine your neighbor, examine their problem. That's what we do naturally, and that causes problems. But he says, examine yourself. Although you're not perfect, I'm not either. Does your private life match your public confession? That's what we got to ask ourselves. Does my private life match my public confession? Herein, we find the definition of integrity. I want to invite our communion servers to come at this time. This is not the end of the service. I'm going to go on for a few more minutes. I know you're super pumped about that. <laughs> the rest of us can stand to our feet. And there's going to be instruction. We're going to be taking communion. It's going to be different than we've taken communion in the past. Because here's what you're going to do. We're going to have a set of servers on this side facing you. And there's going to be a set of servers on this side facing you. And what we'll do is you will come toward the inside, help yourself to one juice and cracker, and go back to your seat. Come in. See so you guys, same thing. Come in, go back, work inside to outside. 
each row. We're gonna just, they're gonna sing while you're receiving the elements, but then when you get back to your seat, do not take them yet, because we will, unity, we will do that together. And I will give you instruction once everyone has been served. And I'll even tell you this. Once you get it, hold your cracker and juice and feel free to be seated. Now I know that's going to mess with some people's traditions. You can't take communion sitting down. It's powerful. Just show me scripture for that. Last Supper, guess what they were doing? They weren't even just sitting. They didn't, they didn't order Ashley, you know, Ashley furniture from Nebraska Furniture Mart with uh, 13, 14 seats around it. They would actually recline and they sat around a table like this. <laughs> if you want to do it, go ahead. But that's, I'm just telling you to have a seat. You want to recline? That's up to you. I guess make yourself comfortable. These chairs don't recline, but do what you need to do. But feel free once you've been served to go back, keep the elements, and just have a seat. Go ahead and start.
Has everyone been served that was desiring to be served? Okay. Thank you. We needed one in the drum cage. Turns off the lights and then we can't see him. All right, did we get everyone else? Don't want anyone to miss that wants to be a part. Recently came across a post from a great speaker named Raymond Woodward about communion. I loved it. I said, I'm just going to steal, I mean, borrow it. But, you know, on that faithful night, that final night, Jesus broke bread and he told his disciples specifically that his body would be broken. Something had to be broken because the human race was broken, broken by sin. And we all know it, 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 it should have been us. It should have been you. It should have been me. But instead it was him. He took it. He felt it. He bore it in his body. Broken in a thousand ways. The vicious slaps and punches broke the capillaries in his skin, forming fiery scarlet bruises. The ragged crown of thorns punctured the tender skin of his face stinging like the death by a thousand cuts. The whip ripped bloody trenches across his torso until life began to ebb from his flesh. The rusty nails tore gaping wounds in his hands and feet until he could barely endure the agony. And the spear opened up a crimson stream that flowed from his side until the ground beneath the cross was soaked in blood. Yes, his body, which is what this unleavened piece of cracker represents. His body was broken, not for a religious tradition, but for you. And so as we together in unity, we take this in remembrance, like scripture says, in remembrance of his body that was broken for us. like this, I just try to picture what the cross would be like and what he would have looked like. Scripture says he was marred, his visage was marred more than any man. He was probably not even recognizable as a human being. And he looked through the sands of time all the way to 2023 and he did it for me. human emotion and psyche is fragile sometimes so we're stuck on that don't drink the drink yet but it's as somber as it is 
to remember his body that was broken. It almost instantly turns to a celebration as we remember the blood. This message would be a lot easier to preach to children. Children, you can just like goof around, goof around. You get to the altar call, you can just be like, all right, it's time to get serious. And they can be crying and praying like that. Adults, we need a long runway to go from serious to funny or funny to serious. But as somber as the body, the blood's a celebration. His body was broken. But the blood, that was never broken. His blood was not injured or inhibited. His blood wasn't hurt or hindered. His blood wasn't changed or diminished or damaged. Even to this day, before we take this, I want to tell you about the blood. The blood that Jesus shed it's still unblemished, spotless, and precious. First Peter 1 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. God did? Yeah, when he took on flesh. From the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, with, it would, which would lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. You know what the blood? The blood brings us near to him. Ephesians 2 says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. Anybody remember that day? Being far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him. How? I was far away. I don't deserve this, but now I'm near to my Savior because of the blood of Christ. The blood, it gives us boldness. Hebrews 10 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we now can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Why? I don't deserve to be able to do that. Most of the time, if I'm sinning, I'm going, God, it's me again. Forgive me. But he says we can come boldly with our head up high going, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm walking into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How is that possible? By the blood of Christ that he shed on Calvary. The blood still provides peace and reconciliation. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do that? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. The blood is still providing salvation and justification. Romans 5.9 says, Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Just like the Old Testament, when they had that first Passover, they had to kill an animal. But the blood didn't just need to be shed. It needed to be applied to the doorpost so there would be a covering. God was setting something up in the Old Testament that said, if you want to be saved, you better stay under the covering of the blood. 
And then the blood, it's still, the blood grants us forgiveness and riches and redemption. Ephesians 1 says, in whom we have redemption. How? Through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The blood still overcomes our evil accuser because the devil's the accuser of the brethren. The devil wants nothing more than you to leave this place today and say, I can't be a part. I've done so much. If they, oh, I could, if I go back to that church, I'll split it wide open. They're, that's good people, but I'm not a good person. Listen, there's no good. No, not one except for him. But the blood, when the devil tries to say, look at you, look what you did. Look at you, what you did last night. Look at what you participated in. Look at the person you are. I can read Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. My testimony is not that I'm perfect. My testimony is that I'm covered in the blood. My testimony is not that I don't struggle. My testimony is that I'm forgiven and I'm free. My testimony is not that, oh, look at my past. No, my past is only beautiful because it's been redeemed by the blood of Calvary. And the blood still has the power to remit sin. Matthew 26 says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for this purpose, the remission, the removal, the cancellation of every sin and mistake of my people. And if you're here and you say, man, he shed that blood. I want to repent of my sins. This water is warm and clean. We can open up these doors and behind these doors is a baptismal tank. We got clothes you can change into. And you can have the name of Jesus Christ call over your life. Those sins don't only have to be forgiven. They can be washed away. It's still the blood that purchased the New Testament church. Acts 20, 28, take heed therefore unto yourself, to the flock over the, the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with, what does it say? His own blood. For people that want to say that Jesus is a separate, co-equal, co-eternal person, I go to this scripture and I say, God's a spirit. How, when did God ever have blood? God had blood when he took on flesh. And Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh. It's not a co-equal, co-eternal being. God didn't look at his son and say, you go instead. He said, no, I love them enough that I'm going to take on the flesh that I made them in. And I'm going to go ahead and embrace that humanity. And I'm going to walk in their shoes and have the blood that they have. And I'm going to shed it as a sinless, spotless lamb. And it wasn't just for them in Bible times. The blood is the basis of an everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. When he died on the cross, that wasn't just for disciples or apostles or anybody in the second or fifth or eighth or ninth century. That is an eternal covenant. He said, I'm going to sign my name in blood. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to die on Calvary. Why? So that from this moment on through eternity, I will have paid the price for every single sin and mistake. But it's up to you to take the blood that's been shed because John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. It does not say cannot perish because blood's been shed. A price has been paid, but the blood still has 
has to be applied just like it was in the Old Testament. If you've never repented of your sins, I'm getting ready to be done. The musicians can come back. You can come and find a place where you don't have to read a sinner's prayer that I wrote or anybody else wrote. You can read your prayer and say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for making this day possible. I can have boldness to come before the holiest of holies, the presence of God. And Lord, I want to have my sins washed away. I don't only want them forgiven. I want to wash away the evidence in the waters of baptism. I want to enter into this covenant because scripture in the New Testament compares water baptism to entering the covenant. It says we're Abraham's seed according to his promises. We can be in that same covenant. How? By stepping into the waters of baptism. And what makes this covenant possible? It's not the water. It's not the church. It's not the carpet, the lights, the sound system. It's the cross. It's the blood. The blood that Jesus shed is what opened the door for you to come in and go, I want a relationship. I want my sins washed away. I want a fresh start. I don't want to keep living like this. I don't want to live in hopelessness and despair. I don't want to live in depression and discouragement. I don't have to live another day like this, God. And so, today, with that, the body was broken. But the blood, it ain't broken. The blood that he shed that went down that cross and began to run down that hill, that's still alive and it's still flowing and it's still covering and it's still delivering and it's still setting free and with that I remember the blood that he shed for me why don't you just stand to your feet and praise him for a moment why don't you just stand to your feet and remember God as often as I take it I take it in remembrance of you and as somber as the thought of Calvary is, I rejoice in the fact that, it, that your blood paid the price that no one, nothing else could pay. And I'm thankful to you this afternoon, oh God. I'm thankful to you, oh God. And as I open these altars for you to come and find a place to pray, remember this. His blood is not broken. It flows today. It can heal every kind of sickness, all manner of disease it can break the shackles of addiction and perversion it can banish depression and overcome oppression it can fight every temptation and it can fix every situation naysayers may want to say no 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 it's not going to fix every situation i'll stand toe to toe and say yes it does the blood delivers the blood sets free the blood restores it can restore your past it can renew your present it can redeem your future why because the blood isn't broken it will never lose its power the blood still works oh apply the blood to your life the blood is powerful the blood sets free right